welcome to another My Ruby Story. Uh, this week, we're talking to Igor Morozov. Did I get anywhere close to saying that right? Well, it's close enough. It's Morozov, more likely. Morozov. But yeah, yes. Okay. There we go. I feel smarter now. Um, you want to uh, just uh, introduce yourself real quick? The only thing that I really have to say is that you were on episode 407. We talked about pr uh, functional programming with the dry gems on Ruby Rose. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Well, yeah, I'm just here for Russia. I used to be a full stack. I used to experiment with a lot of languages, including Reason, Ruby, Python, C++. I even have some experience with hardware design. And well, here I am writing Ruby and having the time of my life. Nice. So uh, yeah, we're going to get into your story, how you got into programming and how you got into Ruby. Um, it, it's interesting to me, though, uh, most of the people I talk to are in the United States. Um, most of the rest of the people I talk to are in you know maybe uk or canada or you know western europe and so it's interesting just to see where people are at in different parts of the world and what the communities are like there you want to just kind of give us a quick overview on what the communities like out there in moscow uh well in moscow we have a have some companies that organized local meetups mm -hmm. it's most it's like we have one meetup every two or three month, months it's get i think it's getting more frequent and i like it we also have a huge part of the ruby community they are kind of active here we used to have a monthly meeting in a bar like uh -huh. we, we picked the last friday of every month and decided to just go to a bar so and we have an annual conference here in Moscow. I think we'll have more, hopefully. We're, we have a lot of pro projects in St. Petersburg, and I hope we'll manage to bring them here to Moscow. That's cool. So it sounds like there are a bunch of Ruby developers out there in Moscow. Now, are most of them doing Rails, or are they doing Hanami, or are they doing something else? Uh, well, one of the, the developers in Moscow is literally doing the Hanami. It's, well, we have one of the Hanami core developers here. We also have RamRB core developer here. So those two people are Anton Davidov and Nikita Shilnikov. Well, the first one is a Hanami developer. The second one develops DryRB and RamRB. Right. So, so but either way, 
most of our jobs are rails related but we're getting but well we're seeing an increase in the dryer b uh, well yeah i'm seeing an increase and it's entertaining to see and i'm glad that there's some progress in that direction gotcha so let's let's go ahead and switch gears here and talk a little about you so how did you get into programming so i was around eight or nine years old and that's what i when i decided that i want to become a programmer i really had no idea what kind of job that is and what I had to do at a job. And all I knew is that I wanted to build games and that's what programmers do, right? They just build games. So I tried to learn stuff about game development. I read magazines, digged into game assets, trying to extract textures, audio files, scripts. I tried to modify games. And eventually that led me to an older age. Well, a couple of years passed and I was old enough to join the computer courses for children in my local university. I oh. think I was 12 back then. They taught me how the internet works, about the domain service, the whole general idea of programming. Uh, I learned to program using Pascal and after a couple of years, I managed to learn Delphi and C++. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, that wasn't my only source of programming experience. And it wasn't the main cause that led me to become a professional programmer. You see, I was enthusiastic about a simple game called Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Mm-hmm. And it had two multiplayer modifications. And I played those modifications a lot. The best part is they're really easy to modify. They have those scripting languages. And so I eventually became a so-called scripter. I wrote simple scripts and game modes for San Andreas multiplayer. And as as the game modes and the scripts became more complex, I had to face new challenges. I had to learn more advanced mathematics. I had to learn about relational databases because, well, we used to store everything in a couple of files and then we had to switch to MySQL. And once when we switched to MySQL, then the obvious, the next step would obviously be well, we wanted to make a better control panel for our, game, for our players. Like we have a, a couple of hundred of players, we have a game mode, they have a character, they have some stats, and they would want their, well, they would want to access some of their data using the browser. Like we wanted to build a control panel. Right. So, that's when I had to learn PHP and JavaScript to do some advanced stuff with it. I think it was like 2009 mm-hmm. when, when I learned that. I had to, I didn't really use any frameworks. I had to build everything from scratch. It was like, well, it really made me a better programmer, I think because I knew how things 
I just learned how things work from from the ground up. So as the years pass and I've tried to build a lot of different projects, I learned and improved and I learned new technology, which led me to university. And well, before I joined university, I already had some little experience with servers, Linux management, uh, the main services, front end, back end. And that's practically, that's practically it. I just wanted to make games and I just built what had to be done mm-hmm. in order to gain, to get our community running. I just had fun and learned. That's interesting. It's um, so I'm, I'm recording three of these, my Ruby stories today. You're the third one. And during the conversation with uh, Tung Gwen, um, who wrote uh, Jets on or Ruby on Jets and, uh, you know, does a whole bunch of serverless stuff. Yeah, we were talking about his coding journey and a lot of the stuff that he did was essentially, yeah, I had this problem I needed to solve. And so I did what I had to do in order to learn it. And it sounds like you kind of came up through the same thing, right? It was, we had this community, we were playing this game, we wanted to build this dashboard. And so I learned what I had to do in order to make it work. Yeah, that's practically how it works. And it's also interesting too, just to kind of give a a sort of meta um, point to this for people who are listening and going, I want to get into programming. I'm trying to learn a whole bunch of stuff or I'm trying to transition to a different thing in programming. This is why I tell people to go out and find a project that they want to work on and figure out how to do it is because it's one thing to work through the tech uh, tutorial. It's another thing to put yourself in a position where you actually have to go out and solve the problem in order to get the thing to work. Yeah, that's that's why I never actually managed to finish a book on programming because they just felt so distant from what I'm doing every day and from what I really need. So, mm-hmm. so I firmly believe that projects are the best way to go. Yeah, and see, for me, the, the problem that I have with the books is that um, it's not so much that I feel that they're distant from where I want to go. It's just that I get in and they'll get me started, which is really nice because they usually have that part down and it, it shortcuts a lot of the information that I'd have to go gather on my own. Um, you know, same with online tutorials. But then I'll start working on something and then I'll get interested in building out something that isn't the next step in the tutorial or the videos or the the book and so i go off on my own and wind up learning it that way oh yeah so you get in you're building this um this system is is that something out there that people can still find or is that just really old and and not something that people use anymore yeah that's really old and the last system i built this way kind of died around 2013 that's that's when i joined the university Interesting. So how did you, how did you get into Ruby then? Uh, well, after, after a couple of years into programming, I decided to join the university to become a professional. I had a computer engineering degree, so it was far from Ruby. It was C++, like desktop programming, hardware design, electrical engineering, stuff like that. Yeah. 
my degree is in computer engineering. So. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that, I'm kind of glad to see people in computer engineering. Like, it's not computer science, but I really yeah. find it interesting. So, yep. you know, when I was in university, well, my, my town, my city has a lot of those factories with electronic electronic facilities we have microelectronics we have nano nanoelectronics and that's what they taught me and i didn't really like to solve this those kind of problems i mean they were interesting to some extent but i didn't really feel excited about it so then i decided to go around to some local meetups and that's where I learned about Python and Django. I tried it and I lo- and I really loved it. It was just it was just good. I had a couple of pet projects that I enjoyed. I used Django with Python. I became a Django Girls coach. I even organized one of those workshops. I tried to do some open source contributions on my own. And after a while, I got bored and decided to land a real job. I wanted to become a Python developer back then. There were a couple of companies not far from my home. I applied to one of them and they rejected me because they needed PHP developers at the moment. Uh, So I decided to go to a second one they actually invited me for an interview, but they actually they said that there was a catch. They didn't really use Python much. Their main code base was, was on Ruby, and they only had some parts written in Python. So we agreed that I will try to learn Ruby, and as an assignment, I would build a simple race Rails application. I think I had a React on my front end. So I came home. I spent some time reading about Ruby, uh, reading about Rails. I finished my assignment and well, I got a job, but there was another catch. You see, there were two companies back there. The one, the first one, the one that I applied to was a huge one. Was a huge one. They had a 10 years old history. They had a lot of clients and a huge code base using a number of languages. It was the company called, I think the English name would be Latera. They develop a billing software for telecom companies. Right. So, so they naturally have a lot of different languages because they have a lot of telecom IP internet service providers and stuff like that but they also had this small startup company inside them and they they offered me to join and well I just decided to go for it and you know when I said yes I actually admitted that I will not use Python for my future work that I'm sticking to Ruby for a while. And I think it was one of the greatest decisions in my life. Mm -hmm. I actually had a chance to work with one of the 
DryRB core contributors and try a lot of stuff there. And honestly, I think it was one of the best places for newbie programmers. So yeah, so I just, it's really that simple. I just wanted to become a Python developer and I, I went for an interview and then I became a Ruby developer and I never want to change that. Nice. So it's funny, people get in for different reasons. Was it Rails? Was it something about Ruby programming itself? I mean, what was it that kept you coming back? Uh, I didn't really like Rails. I, I really, after Django, after Python, I felt like Rails lacked documentation. But uh, what kept me coming back, I don't know. I just like the new approaches well my pre my previous colleague well nikita he taught me a lot about functional programming he taught me about good design principles and i found that ruby community is actually solving the problems that excite me well currently the trend the trending thing in our local community is event sourcing, domain-driven design, and stuff like that. And those things are interesting to me. So I think it's the community and the language features. I, and I think that Ruby has enough extensibility. We can use different paradigms. We can use object-oriented. We can use functional. We can effectively combine them. Uh, oh my God it really keeps me from ever living. I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a new idea, I probably spend an hour looking for a domain that communicates the right thing to the right people so that they know what I'm about. And that's why I picked up as a sponsor the .tech domains. And you should definitely check them out. There's never been a domain that's helped represent the tech community so well. Getting a domain that's relevant to your brand that helps encapsulate the ethos of what you're doing is just, it's hard. And the .coms a lot of times are taken up. And so having a .tech is really, really awesome. Now, I have actually picked up devchat.tech. We have a lot of SEO behind devchat.tv, so I probably won't switch, but I wanted that out there so that people can pick it up and know that devchat is about tech. And, and I just, I love the idea. So using a .tech domain was an awesome solution for us. It's short, it's relevant to what we do. It just sticks in people's head. It's a natural fit for anything technology. So if you're a programmer, if you're working on a tech startup or an open source library or things like that, it's definitely a great way to go. In fact, a lot of other companies have actually been moving over to .tech. So CES, which is a conference that I go to every year and uh, go check out all the new technology. They switched over to ces.tech from cesweb.org. Viacom has Viacom.tech to host their tech division. Intel chose Insight.tech for their latest initiative. Startups on a tech domain have raised more than a billion dollars on a .tech domain. So if you want your own .tech domain, go to go.tech slash MRS and use the coupon code MRS.tech and get a one-year tech domain at $9.99 and a five-year .tech domain at $49.99. 
Now, if you use this coupon code to get a .tech domain, tweet at me at cmaxw and let me know what .tech domain you got so that I can shout it out on Twitter. Uh, I'd really love to see what you're doing with this. And I think it's just a great product. So go check it out at go.tech slash MRS and get this deal today. Cool. So what are you working on now? Uh, well, I don't have, I don't really have any open source projects uh, or anything that can be or anything public. But right now I'm working for a company that is practically a platform for cleaners and customers. You place an order, a cleaner picks it, picks it and comes cleans your apartment. Uh, well, now my team, my team is in charge of improving the quality and overall happiness of our cleaners and customers. We mm -hmm. just want to, well, we want our cleaners not to make mistakes, mm -hmm. not to, well, and we want them to be real professionals. So we're trying to find new business solutions to the problem and it, it really drives me because I have to program like I think 10 hours or 15 hours a week and the rest of my time I'm trying to solve some product related problems. I think we, we're improving our training and hiring process. We improve user experience. We're even thinking about introducing something like guaranteed income for our cleaners. You know, like you have to achieve like you have to work like nine to five or something like that. And then you get guaranteed income because right now it's more like we have a couple of freelancers and we, and it's really hard to work with them because, you know, their lifetime in our system isn't really great. And you see, it's one of the projects that I'm interested in. It's the business is the product. But there's also my second side. I like, I have uh, three experience, experiments going on right now. The first experiment that I'm working on is introducing GraphQL in our Ruby application. You know, I, I don't think there's enough talks in Ruby community about GraphQL and similar technologies. So I'm trying to figure out the best ways to implement those APIs. I want to make them feel natural, idiomatic, and I want to make them feel really amazing with, you know, we have our type, dry types, data, and we, we have our GraphQL and I think it's interesting to see how those two type systems match and how to work with them. So I'm trying to figure it out and probably share with community. So my second project is experimenting with domain driven design. It's one of the hot topics in our local community. So <clears throat> we're experimenting with that. I mean, yep. We're using event sourcing. I actually implemented some in-house event sourcing on my previous job. And right now I'm trying to work with some advanced Rails magic to 
implement bounded contexts and stuff. And well, I just want to find out a way to communicate, find ways to communicate about our domain using our mm -hmm. code. And, you know, we have a, this really large monolith and I see if that can make it more controllable. And the last project that's on my mind is actually derailing our application. Our application is almost five years old. It's based on Rails, well, historically, but in reality, we no longer need most of the Rails. Uh, we only use Rails for persistence, routing, and probably some middleware. And that's practically it. And you know, we just want to move on. We just need to find new solutions to, to the same problems and Rails no longer works well for us. So this is a challenge for me because nobody's going to give me any time to, well, no, well, they just won't let me stop the world so that I can set and rewrite our whole application using some Rhoda or RAM or JRB or whatever. They just won't let me do that. And I think no sane person would ever do that. So I'm trying to find a way to experiment. I'm trying to find a way to implement something new. I'm just trying to find a way how to slowly migrate the large code base from Rails to something else. It's my personal challenge. We've done it on my previous job, but I didn't really take much, much part in it. So it's kind of my own journey that I have to finish. Uh, it's kind of interesting, like, I think it will make me a better developer and I hope and I hope some people will would talk to me about that and I think it will be an it will be an amazing ex experience for the community in general because you know people used to think that ruby is just about trails but yeah yeah there's a lot more there yeah so if people wanted to get in touch with you then and talk to you about some of these things that you're, you're bringing up here, um, where do they find you on social media? Uh, well, I have a Facebook. I'm not a reg regular user there. I think uh, I'll send a link to the show notes. I also have a website. Mm -hmm. It's just my last name. It's morozov.is. Those are my initial initials. So I'm morozov.is. That's it. And that's practically it. Those are practically the most common ways to contact me. And anything else is listed on my website, on my blog. Makes sense. Okay, one other question that I've kind of added to the lineup that I want to ask, and that is, um, and, and this is mostly just because I feel like I've kind of captured people's coding journeys, but I failed to give people an idea of who they are so what does a day in the life of uh, Igor Morozov look like? Uh, just a regular day like 
You mean yeah. from 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 the moment I wake up to the moment? Yeah. Well, it's actually <clears throat> well. I start. I wake up around nine in the morning. It's kind of it's kind of late. Then I well have breakfast. Then I and after an almost an hour, I just leave for my work i have like my commu my everyday commute is like one one hour and 30 minutes just one way so i'm at home by noon then i then i have a stand up with my team i will just discuss the things that go up go on with our life <clears throat> sorry we discuss what's going on with our lives, what's going on with the project. We share ideas, we discuss them. Well, then I go to my workplace. I just read my emails, read the updates from the product. I read pull, pull requests on GitHub. And I spend a couple of hours coding. And then I just go home. I arrive home by around nine in the evening. And then I work, then sometimes I hit the gym, sometimes I have a walk or I cook. Yeah, mm -hmm. I find this meditating. I like to spend some time with my friends playing games. It's actually, it's really convenient because I have this good friend in Canada who moved there from Russia and the evening is the only time that our time zones match so we can talk and play and right. I like to use this time to actually have some time with my friends and then I just you know I take a shower eat and go to bed awesome all right well um, let's go ahead and head into some picks. Do you have some picks for us? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I actually picked one of the great military trousers. It's those trousers are called Triaris. They are designed by Survival Corps. It's a Russian Russian gear manufacturer. What's great about them is just yesterday I was out in the fields. We had those event in the in the fields and I actually managed to put a burning handkerchief in my hip pocket and I kept it there for five minutes so I, ha I spent five minutes with a burning item in my pocket <laughs> uh, and I didn't really realize it because I didn't feel I didn't really feel the you know the burn and right. after a while, I, heard, I realized that my hip hurts and I had no idea why I stayed away from the fire. And then I looked, I looked at my pocket and, that, and something inside it was on fire. So I yelled, I screamed at, at the top of my lungs and just threw it out. And after I've assessed some damages, I, real, I realized that the only thing 
that was hurt was it was my trousers and the only damage to the trousers is a tiny hole in a pocket and you know it doesn't really hurt the insides it was i can just put a small patch i can just put a small patch and it will and it will be like a new so i mean this is great yeah. it didn't it didn't really burn through my hip it just burned to the outside world and yeah it was an amazing experience uh the second pick what are they called again uh triarius i think i'm going to, i'm going to send a send you a link okay uh so the sec so the second pick is well dry types dry struct and dry validation those libraries recently entered the stable versions like it's they had an official 1.0 release recently and they brought a lot of new ideas even new for JRB gems so i think it's worth checking out um the next pick is database tutorial by Connor's Connor Stack. It's a tutorial which follows us through a development of a relational database. This database is like SQLite, I think. It stores all the data into into the same file. In the same file, it interprets SQL queries and uh, it really shows you how the databases work from inside like how they implement indexing how they how they work how they plan the execution time and i think it's really it's a really great way to understand how databases work so this so i really like this tutorial and the last pick is pattern matching in Ruby. I actually had two problems with Ruby. I only had two problems why I even consider switching it, switching another language. The first one is the lack of pattern matching because I use a lot of dry Ruby gems and they would just look better if they had, if we had some kind of destructurization patterns and you know, something like comprehensive pattern matching and i realized that this feature was actually merged into into the main branch and i'm really excited about it and the second thing i wanted to fix was was wanted to improve was community so now i have everything i want so now i'm happy Nice. All right, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, the first one is uh, Harbor Freight Tools. So if you're here in the United States, there's a tool store called Harbor Freight. I think they started out with catalog. I don't remember. But you can order stuff from them as well. Um, but one of the things that's really great about it, so I've been building this podcasting booth. I think I've mentioned it on past episodes um, so that I can take it to conferences and, you know, do some recording and things like that. And one of the things that I uh, wound up running into was that I needed my uh, nail gun 
it's it's a nail slash staple gun but it hooks up to my compressor and that uh, compressor was leaking air like crazy and so i replaced one of the parts on it and um harbor freight had the part that i needed for really cheap so i, I really really I, I buy stuff from them all the time um so i really like harbor freight um the other pick that i have and this is something that i'm planning on checking out over the next few weeks is the dragon ruby game toolkit um, now if you're not familiar with dragon ruby it used to be called ruby motion and um they renamed it and open sourced it so now it's uh dragon ruby and it's free which is awesome um and i'm, I'm looking at building some mobile apps and seriously considering uh ruby motion for my or dragon ruby sorry for my um as my solution there so anyway um yeah so i'm excited to get that together and you know kind of start playing with it but it looks like you can write apps for uh mac and windows as well as some of the other platforms so um yeah it should be really really cool and uh, so i'm going to pick that um and yeah i think that's all we got so igor thanks for coming yeah thanks for having me all right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we will be back next week with another Ruby story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.